We've kind of journeyed from creation uh, via Abraham, uh, and today we are looking at the character of Moses. And so to lead us through that, we have our church warden, uh, which is an Anglican way of saying um, one of the chairs of the board of our, char- uh, of our trustee, uh, sorry, ch- chair of our trustees, um, uh, here at the church. Um, uh, so Catherine Delve is going to speak uh, with us. We're very excited about that, but we get a double dip of Delve um, because Glenn is going to do the reading, but that's not at the start. Okay, perfect. So um, uh, Catherine. Uh, that's so funny. Double dip of Delve. Wow. I don't know how to follow that. <laughs> oh, let, let's pray, shall we, before we go into this. I think God has got some stuff that he wants to say to us this morning. And it would be really good for us to give him permission to speak. So, Holy Spirit, would you open up our hearts and our minds to be more aware of your presence be more aware of your calling, to be more aware of your power. Speak to us, Lord, through this ancient figure, Moses, this morning, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I grew up the child of a Baptist minister, and if you know anything about Baptists, when they go to theological college and they're taught to preach, Three points, ideally all beginning with the same letter. So I thought my good old dad, who's been in heaven for a while now, would be really proud, because today I have three points and they all begin with P. So hopefully you'll be able to remember them and follow on well. And we're gonna talk today about presence, priesthood, and power. The story we live in is the story we live out. It's one of the things that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And what we're going to do today is try to understand that story better and how presence, priesthood, and power are themes that run right the way from the beginning of the Old Testament right the way through to the end of the Bible in Revelation. But we're going to start today and dig in a little bit to the story of Moses. Most of the story of Moses you can read in Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible following straight on after Genesis. And what do we know about Moses? Well, he was probably better with the written word than he was with the spoken word. How do I know that? He's largely credited with writing most of the first five books of the Bible. And he was a reluctant leader. So God called him to speak truth to power. He called him to be a mediator between um, God and the people. And Moses was so reluctant, so much so that he kept saying to God, God, please choose someone else. I can really identify with that. This week as I've been preparing this talk, I have to say it hasn't come together that easily. I have shed some tears over it. And I really, I have to say, I did feel like Moses at some point, thinking, God, isn't there anybody else that can do this? 
He was a reluctant leader, but God didn't let him off the hook, and he hasn't let me off the hook. There you go. So here we are. But given that Moses wrote so much, and the book of Exodus is 40 chapters long, I'm not going to keep you here all day. You'll be glad to hear. So we're going to dive straight in, right at the middle of Exodus, chapter 19, which is arguably one of the most important chapters of the book. It brings a load of strands together. And I've, this is where you get the double dip. Glenn is going to read for us, and the um, scripture will also come up on the screen. You better stand up here so people online can see you. I've never been described as a double dip before. <laughs> uh, this is Exodus 19, starting at verse 3. The Lord called to Moses out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Glenn. You can see just actually from this scripture why it would be helpful for you to come to the seminar this afternoon. So, when it says, I bore you on eagles' wings, um, it's not literal. So, and often we can read the Old Testament thinking things are literal when they're not. So no, the people of Israel didn't. I'm sure you knew that anyway. But sometimes it's not quite as obvious as that, as a metaphor. Um, just putting that out there. So back to the people of Israel. So in this passage, what we see is the people of Israel are at the bottom of a mountain in the desert. They've just come out of Egypt. They've been under tyrannical, the tyrannical reign of the Pharaoh who has really brutalized them as a people group and held them captive in slavery. And they have just had a miraculous and dramatic escape from Egypt. And honestly, I don't know what your Netflix or movie of choice is. I don't know whether it's Star Wars or Star Trek or Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings or Breaking Brad or Prison Break or Friends or Neighbours or whatever it is, but I can tell you this, the Bible is right up there. If you haven't had an opportunity and you are reasonably new to faith or even not new to faith and you avoid the Old Testament, can I encourage you to get into it? because it makes sense of so much of what comes later. Star Trek and Star Wars are like your sugary carbs. Nothing wrong with Netflix, nothing wrong with movies. We are a family that love Netflix. We love movies. 
One of our sons even did um, film studies at college. He's a fascinating person to watch films with. But if all we do is consume movies and Netflix and uh, soaps and what have you, it's like your sugary carbs. It won't stand us in good stead for a life well lived. But equally, neither will reading stuff about the Bible. So it's very easy for us to read commentaries or books that talk about the Bible or listen to podcasts that talk about the Bible or tune into Instagram for your little snapshot, your little verse every now and again that might encourage us. Yeah, they're all good things, but that's not your protein. Your protein is reading the Bible. The protein of the Bible fills us up, keeps us strong helps us stay fit and lean, it curbs our hunger. You might think of the podcasts and watching videos about the Bible or reading books about the Bible as the five a day. I don't know, there are limits to the the analogy, but you get where 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 I'm going with this. Read it, it's amazing. Back to Sinai. Sinai brings two important things together the presence of God and God's law. And God's law outlines his way to live well. God is trying to get the people back to Eden. So remember a couple of weeks ago, John talked about what Eden was like. God was there. Adam and Eve were there. No barriers between them. They could communicate together. There was love. There was intimacy. There was no shame. It was a place where God was king. He lived with his people in harmony. And when we get to Exodus, obviously it's all gone horribly wrong. And it's as if God is saying at the foot of Mount Sinai, okay, guys, we're going to go again. Eden was a non-starter. That was my design, but you messed it up. We made some progress with Abraham. Noah and Joseph were highlights. Egypt was a really low point. But hey, now we get to go again. I've brought you out from slavery. I've brought you out from tyranny. And I want you to have a chance to live well again. I want you to have a chance to live in peace For you and me, God and me, yeah, you get it. To be happy together, we have a clean slate. But God, it's like God is saying, but just, I want to be crystal clear with you. If I wasn't clear enough to start with, I'm going to give you a law that will govern and shape how you live in relationship with me and with one another. Now, this isn't a law that comes from a need to control or discipline. It's a law that comes from love and a chance to see humanity flourish. But it's so much more than the law and flourishing. The law enables us to be holy, to be pure before God. And this is where we have to go back to Eden to understand it. Adam and Eve in the garden made choices to bend away from God. And the evil that was unleashed as a result irrevocably damaged us in creation. And if you look back to Genesis, Re-listen to John's talk from two weeks ago, if you weren't here. 
Chapter 3 ends with Eden being guarded by a flaming sword. The way to God is blocked. And this is a problem because God wants to be with his people, but the way is blocked by our sin, our, our wanting to go our own way. God is holy, we are not. There's no way back. The presence of God is blocked. And notice here how God's presence and his holiness are inextricably linked. And everything that God has done since that point, since that catastrophe that we see in Genesis 3, has been to get to move his people back into his presence. Everything God does throughout the Old Testament leading up to Jesus' arrival is giving us an opportunity to orient ourselves back to him. And I'm going to pick up on this again in a moment. But before I do, I want to show you just a short clip from the Bible Project, which explains the second half of Exodus. Um, And it's brilliantly done. And it unveils the beginning of God's plan to make a way for us to be back in his presence again. Love the Bible Project, guys. They make really complex things really straightforward. So the tabernacle, God's idea, his way of being with the people again. But there's still a blockage. He's closer, but not completely close. Sin and rebellion is still a very big problem. And throughout the rest of the Old Testament, actually, we see first in the tabernacle, as described in Exodus, and then later in the temple, this Um, the structure of the temple with this curtain which blocks God's presence and the veil and all the elaborate rituals that are undertaken by the priests were just a reminder that men and women couldn't carelessly or irreverently enter God's awesome presence. But it's not just that we can't get into God's presence, It's that something about sin blocks God's glory from being visible and present in the earth. And the role of the priest is to mediate on behalf of the people, to stand in that gap between God and the people. The people couldn't go directly to God. The priest went to God on their behalf. But even then, he couldn't go, he could get close but couldn't be actually in God's presence. And the idea that we see in Moses, is that, in Exodus rather, is that Moses acted as a priest to the people. He mediated God's presence, if you like. And it's important to understand that this is a two-way thing. God go, Moses goes to God on behalf of the people, but he also goes to the people on behalf of God. And what we have in Exodus, which is a conundrum that lasts throughout the whole of the rest of the Old Testament, it's a big problem. God is holy. We are not. God wants to be with us, but the pathway back to Eden is blocked. God is visible when his glory fills the earth, but we can't see his glory and live. And God only allows priests to come close to his presence. 
So what are we to do? This sums up the whole Bible story. It's the main theme. And the, this, these questions, this conundrum, are strands that run through absolutely everything. So I'd encourage you, if you're getting into the Old Testament and beginning to read it for the first time and things aren't making sense, look at the, hold that conundrum in your mind and hopefully it will help you. God is holy. We are not. He wants to be with us, but the way is blocked. He's only fully visible when his glory fills the earth, but we can't see his glory and live. And God only allows the priests to come to his presence. So what are we to do? We can't do anything, but Jesus can. And this is where Jesus comes in. So yes, we're in Exodus talking about Moses, but the solution to the problem of God's presence is found 1,500 years or so later. In Jesus, for the first time, we see the fullness of the glory of God, his presence with us. And if you read in John 1, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt The actual word is tabernacled. He tabernacled among us and we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow. Now these are words in John 1 that many of us will be really familiar with. But that familiarity and awesomeness is deepened when you understand the whole story that God's glory had never been visible, hadn't been able to be visible. But suddenly in Jesus, it is visible. So John is saying something really shocking and powerful to his listeners and readers. Jesus is God. Wow. Until now, no one had seen the full glory of God and lived. He was hidden behind a curtain, first in the tabernacle, later in the temple. So God's glory somehow has broken out. And we know this, not just because of John's insight that we read in John 1, but the three other gospel writers talk about it as well. So in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke, when Jesus died on the cross, The curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus' death enabled God's glory to break out. And then we see it again in Revelation 11, the very last book of the Bible. It talks about God's temple being fully open through the work of Jesus. So through Jesus, God's presence His glory is visible. Hold that thought for a moment. But secondly, we see in Exodus this call to be a kingdom of priests. That is what God was calling the people of Israel to be, a kingdom of priests. But these aren't just verses for Moses' time. They are, this idea is talked about 1,500 years later in the New Testament when Peter is writing one of his letters. 
this call that we will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Peter says, you are a chosen race, and this is to us, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim, we have to do something with it, the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. We are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter writes these words to the early church. Jesus died, he's been resurrected, he's returned to the Father. The idea is that now you and me are commissioned to carry God's presence and to be his priests. We are commissioned to carry God's presence and to be his priests. So just as Moses goes to God on behalf of the people and goes to the people on behalf of others, we now go to God on behalf of others and to others on behalf of God. And it's not that others can't and that people generally can't go to God directly. Absolutely, yes, they can. But the role of the church is that we are commissioned to be God's royal priesthood. We carry the presence of God himself. His glory is on display in us. Wow! Wow! And this is all the more awesome when we read things in Exodus like Moses couldn't see God's glory and live. He wanted to see God, and there's part of there's a part of the book where Moses is pleading to see God face to face, and God says, "No, you can't because it will kill you." And so God hides Moses in the cleft of the rock, so his face is hidden, and he passes by. But now God's glory, that awesome glory, is on display in us and through us. It is tempting in our culture, and particularly, I think, in churches like the Church of England, like the Baptist Church, like all sorts of um, denominations, where there is an ordination track for people to be ordained as priests and vicars, to somehow think that we're not priests as well if we're not ordained. Now, absolutely, it's a good thing that people are called to minister like John and Tom and Johnny and are, are ordained. Big organizations need structure and to have order. But that doesn't let everybody, all the rest of us, off the hook. You know, we are all called to be a royal priesthood wherever we are, whether we work in business or in education or in a supermarket or in the media or whether you're a lawyer or an accountant, you are a priest full of the presence and the glory of God himself. 
Now, I said at the beginning that I wanted to talk about presence, priesthood, and power. Let me try and tie all of this up together. God himself enables us to get back into his presence to Eden. He knows that we can't do it himself. He sent Jesus to do it for us. There's no longer a curtain in the way. This is why Jesus is sometimes referred to as the second Adam. Adam couldn't do it. Jesus did. He's the second Adam. So Jesus enables us to get back into his presence. Second, Jesus is our great high priest. Through him, we can access God directly. Because of what Jesus has done, the way to God is completely open. But we are now commissioned to follow in Jesus' example. He's our great high priest. We are the royal priesthood. We are called to minister God's presence and glory to the world around us. But finally, and beautifully, we are now, our bodies in the New Testament are described as temples, temples of the Holy Spirit. So no longer is God's presence found in the tabernacle or the temple. We are the temples. We carry his presence. His glory isn't hidden in a select, to be only encountered by a select few. His glory is housed in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. So when we pray for each other to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we are not just looking for a lovely, warm and fuzzy feeling. That's great. It is so much more than that. It's, even, it's more than asking to be filled with the Spirit for God to deal with our mess and our struggles or for that we might be filled with the Spirit to know God's healing. Yes, it's about that, but it is about so much more than that. Just as God, just as jo- uh, Joseph, Moses <laughs> mediated or priested God's presence and his power to the people around him, we are called to do the same. 